All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Kings 4. And we've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. And if you'll go to verse 18, we'll start reading from there. If you'll look around, if your neighbor next to you doesn't have a King James Bible, if you'd be kind of share your Bible with them, that'd be a blessing. Or if they don't have an Old Testament, you help them find their place here tonight. But the, those of you just came in, we'll share this again. We want to congratulate Brother Allen and Catherine Wang on the safe, healthy, and birth of their baby daughter, uh, Elise April. Can we show that again? They were, the baby was just born this afternoon, and uh, they had to induce delivery this afternoon for uh, the baby born. But we thank God for a safe and healthy pregnancy. So praise to God for that. Five pounds, 13 ounces, 18 inches. I hope I got that right. Amen. And uh, you congratulate them. That'll be a blessing. All right, Second Kings 4. Say amen if you're there. Amen. So you have a great year this year in the Word of God. And if you haven't started, I want to encourage you to get on a regular Bible reading schedule and reading the Bible daily. And we're going to give out a Bible reading schedule for you this Sunday. And we'll have our church calendar you're going to get on Sunday. That's Sunday night. And the calendar will have a lot of our special events. We're going to talk to you about those and kind of navigate you through the events going on this year and things happening there. And we're just going to have a great night. We're going to talk about this coming year and what the Lord has for us. And we're just praying for God to do some great things. And you should be praying as, as the preaching goes on tonight, Lord, do something great with my life in 2018. Amen? That would be a great prayer to pray this evening, okay? Second Kings chapter 4, verse 18. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to a lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. Now, remember, she's at Shunem, and she's asking to go northwest to Mount Carmel, which overlooked the, the, the seaside there, the Mediterranean Sea. And she was saying, I need to travel 15 to 20 miles by way of donkey and quickly there. And her husband said in verse 23, wherefore wilt thou go to him today? He said, what, what purpose? Now, the father's starting to realize something happened to the boy. He says, it is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, now notice this, it shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God (coughs) to Mount Carmel. (coughs) And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, Yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord has hid from me. And hath not told me. Then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? This evening, Lord, we come to you. Thank you for the reading of the scriptures. And where it says in the book of Revelation, blessed is he that readeth. And I pray this evening that our goal would be as a church to read thoroughly through the word of God. But that the word of God would also read us. 
And we pray tonight on this cold, wet, rainy night, that though it may be cold and wet and rainy outside, as we began tonight, we pray for showers of blessings. We pray for God, the warmth of the Holy Spirit to meet us tonight. We pray for as the word of God is being expounded tonight, that the day star would arise in our hearts. We pray tonight that you light a fire. We pray tonight, God, you take our prayer lives to a new dimension. We pray, God, tonight that you teach us some things that are found in this passage that will help our faith. Will God help our giving? Would help our stewardship? Would help our serving? God would help our faith in God. We pray tonight that you meet us where we're at. And God, as we look past last year, we do what the Apostle Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, but reaching forth unto that which is before us. And God, we press for the mark, for the high calling of the prize that is found in Christ Jesus. Father, give enablement tonight. Lord, I pray you speak to our soul. Holy Spirit, I pray, God, you'd be the teacher and meticulously working your word in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would drive conviction in our heart. We pray that you reprove us of sin and of righteousness and judgment tonight. Of sin because, Lord, of people that believe not on you. And Lord, because of, and because of judgment, because, because the prince of this world is judged. And of righteousness because Jesus has gone to the Father. Tonight, Lord, we pray that this church would see an energization. Lord, I pray you do for us like you did there in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost with those little group of disciples that met there, God, in the upper room. God, we need a manifestation of Pentecost in our lives tonight. We need to see an outpouring for harvesting that will come about. And so, Lord, tonight, bless our passage. We'll have a fun time together, and yet we'll have a time that would be exhorting us and helping us in the Lord. Well, thank you for this now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, we want to thank you for being here tonight. I want to welcome Brother Tony back. Brother Tony's been gone for a few days to be with his family in China. And thank you that you got back good. Brother Tony, you awake, Brother Tony? You okay? Amen. I mean, he's wide awake there. Amen. And uh, we're back in our study this evening on kings and prophets. And we're in the study of the life of Elisha. And I hope that you uh, savor the study we do in Elisha because it's good stuff there that we're going to be looking at. And uh, last time we looked, as we looked at chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, we saw Elisha as he ministered to a woman who was a widow. By the way, aren't you glad tonight that God ministers to all of us? God ministers to every need. And we see him ministering to a widow. And now we go from chapter 4, verse 7 to chapter 4, verse 8. And God moves him on from Samaria now to an area called Shunem. And Shunem would be about north of uh, Samaria there. And he's going to minister to another lady, another woman. And I want you to notice we don't have a name for this woman, just like the previous one. Because maybe the reason being is that God wants us to understand that might be a lady here, or maybe a character, that might be a man here. But we see a woman who is a great, great person. And tonight we're going to see a woman who's a picture of a great servant of God. And I'm just so encouraged to read about this woman. Scripture magnifies many serving women in the church. I think of Lydia at the church at Philippi as a young Christian, as a Christian businesswoman. She opened her home up and the church at Philippi began right there in that woman's home. I think of the women who helped Paul in the gospel that he spoke about in Philippians 4. I think of a woman by the name of Mary that Paul spoke about in Romans 16. And he described her as this. She bestowed much labor on us, he said to him and other workers. There's Mary Magdalene and Salome and the women who ministered Christ of their substance. There's so many other women we find in the Bible. This woman we're looking at tonight is a, was, was, I would call her the total package. She was a wife. She would wind up being a mother. And she wound up, and she was a successful businesswoman. Uh, this woman is called the Shunammite woman. Now, as we look at this woman, I want you to go with me tonight. It may not be in your notes, and if it is, that's fine. But I want you to turn your Bible with, with me for just a minute in Matthew chapter 10. 
And I want you to notice in verse 40 to 42, as we start off our message, tonight, I want you to notice that this this passage we're going to look at is a springboard for tonight's message. Uh, verse 40 to 42 is a springboard for us tonight. And a lot of times the, the New Testament helps us understand the Old Testament and the Old Testament many times helps explain the New Testament. And so tonight we're going to see a, a doctrine here, scripture that speaks to us so wonderfully about this passage because this, this passage we're looking at so many themes that you can go on. We want to look at a generalized idea that God is giving us here in chapter 10 verses 40 to 42. And if you're there in Matthew 10 verses 40 to 42, let's read it together because I, I want to just make sure everybody's with me tonight. I want to read it together. If I don't hear you, I'm going to ask you to read it again. So read out loud, pretend I'm deaf because I am, and read out very loud, that'll help us out. All right, all together, verse 40. He that receiveth you, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet, in the name of a prophet, shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man, in the name of a righteous man, shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say to you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now, I'm not I'm trying to expound upon all those verses because it's dealing with rewards. But notice in verse 41, he talks about a prophet's reward. You want to underline that tonight. And the title of the message this evening is about a prophet's reward. Now, just kind of embed that in your mind for a minute. A prophet's reward. Because as we kind of work our way through the scriptures tonight, we're going to understand what this reward is. What is the prophet's reward? How do I get the prophet's reward? He said in verse 41, he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Now, understand something tonight. Sometimes we read the scriptures if we don't have a full grasp of the Bible. Sometimes we'll read something like we're going to look at tonight and we'll think, wow, I want that for me. But can that happen for me? Can God answer a prayer that's for something that's seemingly impossible. Can God do something for me like we're going to read about tonight with half this woman? And there are obviously there's some things God doesn't do in this dispensation, but that he's chosen not to do. But can God do something like that? And we need to understand criteria that God establishes in his word, because sometimes God purposely shows us something. But we've got to find the the actual uh, element that needs to pull it together, maybe found in another passage of scripture that pulls it together. So we're going to see that tonight. We're going to see something about what it means to have a prophet's reward there. So without much ado, I want you to go right with me into this message tonight as we see some things. Notice some things so we can have an understanding of the whole passage. Go with me back to verse eight. And the first thing I want you to see is a motivated devotion. We're going to see a woman who was motivated in her devotion. She was motivated in serving God. She was motivated in her passion for God. Now, I'm going to ask you tonight, are you motivated? Are you motivated to serve God? You, are you praying that God will do something great this year in your life? Are you praying for God to do something great in the life of the church? And I'm not talking Joel Austin kind of motivation, amen? I'm talking biblical motivation. I'm talking about where you feel inspired to do something great for God. Notice in verse 8, we read about this woman. We find here, it says in verse 8, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem. Now, Elisha's going upwards, northward from Samaria, where he was just at, upwards to, to Shunem. And he's going to Shunem. He passed through there. There may have been a school of the prophets. We find that he frequently visited there. So there may have been a school of the prophets, some form of ministry he had there. And the Bible tells us here in verse 8 that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned thither to eat bread. Now we see some things here. We see a lady here is greatly motivated in her devotion towards God. The first thing we find out about this woman that stands out to us is found in the fact in verse 8 that she was a woman 
woman who had financial success. Notice we see a great woman. This woman had, uh, she and her husband owned much farmland. Uh, we read the passage. They had employees. We read about reavers that she has. She was a wealthy woman. She had many animals. She had donkeys. She had cattle. And she had many things. She had threshing instruments. And uh, she, had, uh, she had the means to expand her business and her personal holdings. This was a successful woman. And uh, being successful is a blessing when it's used for the right purpose. She's called a great woman. She had great resources. She had great means. And it reminds us tonight as we read about the successes woman of a charge that Paul gave to people who God blesses with resources and blesses with extra means. That we are not to take those means and hoard it for ourselves. But we're to take those means and use it to help be a blessing. And Paul reminded those people down in Ephesus who were very well to do. He said in 1 Timothy 6 verses 17 to 18. Charge them that are rich in this world that they not be high minded nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And what he's telling us as God blesses you, use what you have abundantly. Let me tell you a secret this year if you want to be successful. If you want to be successful in things of God... Just step out and do more with what God has blessed you with. Watch God just pour it out. God, as you show God, you can be, you can be trusted with what He's given you. God is willing to trust more to you. And this lady was a woman we see who was blessed with financial success. But as we read through this, notice Elisha's making his way through Shunem and he passes through there. And somewhere along the way, this lady of Shunem and Elisha make each other's acquaintance. Now she extended old-fashioned Eastern hospitality. And we see not only this woman was financially successful, we see this woman was a faithful steward. Notice some things this woman does. First thing she does, she exercises an extreme gift of hospitality. She sees this man of God coming through, doesn't really recognize he's a man uh, He's a man that serves God. She just sees him as a traveler. And in those days, if you were a traveler, people showed their hospitality. They say, hey, you must be traveling through. Come to my house and I'll give you something to eat. Come to my place. In some cases, people didn't have much. They might serve a bowl of soup or something, but that was considered hospitality. But this woman had means and she invited him to come. And as the man of God was making his way. Notice in verse 8, it says, she constrained him to eat some bread. In other words, he said, I'm okay, ma'am. I'm okay. She said, no, really, I want you to come. And he would say, I'm okay, ma'am. I'm okay. And, And she said, no, I really want you to come. I want you to come. And she noticed something different from him versus other travelers that she may have entertained. She may have had something like a bed and breakfast type of inn there, right? And she probably had other people come through. And what she noticed different was that as she invited this man in, as she sat him down the table and they would have a bite to eat, he would say something like this, ma'am, before we, before we eat, how about we bow our heads and have a word of prayer and thank the God of heaven for our food. And, uh, and sometimes they would start talking and he would ask her questions that would be spiritually driven. And, and uh, she would start to realize over a period of time there was something different about this man. He wasn't just a Hebrew believer. And she found out as she talked more than about the scriptures and about God, <coughs> she probably started finding up uh, some people he knew. And he didn't, you know, try, try to be boastful about the fact that he trained under Elijah. But maybe he says, yeah, I knew that man, Elijah. I've been, been around him and so forth. And the Bible says she perceived that he was a holy man of God. Well, notice her stewardship goes beyond just giving him a meal, get, going past just the bare minimum. And notice she tells her husband, I perceive that this man is a man of God. And she says, we need to do something. And she wasn't usurping authority from her husband. I like that. She wasn't usurping authority from her husband. In fact, as we read this, she seems to come across as being a little bit more discerning and having a lot more faith than her husband. 
That didn't mean her husband wasn't a good man. It didn't mean that her husband didn't love God. It just, you got, she, God had blessed this woman where she had just, she had, she was a woman of faith. And that's okay. That's a good thing. And so she didn't usurp authority. She says, how about if we take our resources? Notice what she says there. How about we take our resources and remodel our home? And let's blow out a wall and extend the wall, and we're going to build up a loft, so it'll go, we'll put some stairs with it, we're going to build a loft, and she said, let's build us a little chamber, and in that chamber, we're going to put a bed, and a, and, a, and, a, and a table, and a candlestick, and a stool, and she said, that would be, let's make this chamber for the man, and here we have the first mention of a prophet's chamber, a place where a man of God meets with God, where business is conducted, and the only furniture a man needs, in his, a prophet needs in his chamber, is a bed, a stool, a table, a candlelight, if you would, and the word of God and the old-fashioned Holy Spirit coming down upon him. Amen. And they meet with God there. And so she said, I perceive that this man needs a place where he can meet with God. I perceive he needs a place when he comes here that he doesn't have to go down to Motel 6 to some roach-infested place. Amen. To stay there. But let's have a clean place. And when he comes, I'll give him some clean bedding. When he comes, we'll serve him food. And we'll let him take whatever time he needs. And we'll let him go up there. And she was exercising stewardship. And she said, hey, let's build it out. Because let's and it cost her some money to blow up the walls and it meant some inconvenience because she never knew when the man of God would pop in but he popped his way in she said we're just going to be a faithful steward of the resources that God has given to us and she wanted to be a blessing there and she said this room is for your use and your home is our home and we have a chamber that is exclusive for you so you can pray and study and be used of God this woman opened her home up she was more than glad to have God's man in the house to visit with her and be a blessing to her you see tonight brothers sister in Christ, as we start 2018, I want to encourage you tonight to endeavor as part of your goals, to endeavor to be a great steward for God, to endeavor to be a faithful steward of God. Everything you have and I have is a gift from God. You don't own anything. I don't own anything. You brought nothing to this world. I brought nothing to this world. You take nothing out of this world. I take nothing out of this world. I'm reminding tonight that whatever goods you have, they stay here when you leave this life. And the only thing that goes ahead are those things that we do for Jesus while we're in this life. Those things get sent ahead when they're done with a good motivation and right right idea there. And so this woman realized, well, I've got to be a good steward here. And God wants us as stewards to use our resources and abilities for the advancement of God's work. Now listen to me tonight as we study stewardship. A lot of times we make this faulty assumption that stewardship is only referring to management. No, it does not. As we study that, actually management is the bare minimum. Management, basically, there's zero return on the resources God gives us. As you study stewardship, especially Matthew 25, on the parable of the stewards, stewardship invokes that God gets a decent return, a rate of return on what he has given us. God expects us to abound in what we do. Listen, tonight, you're not serving God. God wants you to take those gifts and put it to use because he wants to see a rate of return on, on what's going on. He wants to see an ROI return on investment in what you're doing. God, why this? If you've got resources and you're barely participating, God cannot bless you until you start using that for His glory and see a return on investment in that. And we're going to see this tonight because this woman is a faithful steward. She is going to receive a prophet's reward because that's the return on her investment for serving God and being a good faithful steward. You see, faithful stewardship is not just, just not prudent spending, but it's profitable productivity. Faithful stewardship is giving God a good return on what He's entrusted to us. Faithful stewardship is not doing the minimum, but doing our best in maximizing results. I'm telling you tonight, to be a biblical Christian, we must understand this evening, we must be faithful stewards like this woman. But notice something else. She not only was uh, financially successful, 
She not only was a faithful steward, but notice how God blesses her. In verses 11 to 17, God blesses her with a phenomenal son. Now, here's this prophet, and he's thinking, man, this lady is so kind to me. She's so hospitable. She, she gives me meals, and, and, uh, and she, now she's, she's created uh, this, this inconvenience by blowing out a wall, and she's made a prophet's chamber, and she's made an open invitation. Anytime I come through here, I can rest here. I've got a place to stay. I've got a bed, and I've got a table, and I've got a candlestick and a stool. I've got a study place. I got a place where I can meet God. And he was so thankful for that. And so he turns to his servant who's mentioned for the first time in this passage. His name is Gehazi. Gehazi was an intern. He was a servant of God in training. He'd come out of the school of prophets. And I'm not sure what it was that 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 uh, that uh, that uh, Elisha saw in Gehazi, but he saw something and he said, well, I want to invest that man in. Maybe he thought about Gehazi like Elijah thought about Elisha. And so he brought Gehazi with him. He said, listen, Gehazi, here's what I want you to do. Go find out from this woman what her need is. Ask her, do I need to speak to the king for her? Do I need to speak to the captain of the army? Is there something she needs? Find out what she needs. Go call that woman and find out what she wants. And, and she told that man, she said, I don't need anything. She said in verse 13, I dwell among my own people. And this woman is an example of having uh, everything that she could ask for and the abundance of God. And she was content with where she was at. She was content with things. She didn't need to have anything much else. But Gehazi did a little more research. He started realizing, well, this woman and her husband are much older and probably past the age of childbearing. And he found out as he looked around, he says, you know what? This this woman doesn't have a child. And he thought maybe this woman, her biggest need is she'd like to have a child and she'd like to have a son. And uh, they're past that place. And, and so when, when that was told to the prophet Elisha, he said, oh, well, then you know what? If she doesn't have a child, he said, bring her here in verse 15. And she came to the doorway. She came up to the prophet's chamber, up to the law. And she came and this is what he said in verse 16. He said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie to thy handmaid. Now, here's what he's doing. He's telling her two things. Number one, he's giving her a prophecy that's from God's word. He said, God said to tell me to tell you, you're going to have a son. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's going to happen. You're just going to have a son. And he said, from this point, nine months from now, you're going to have a son. You're going to deliver a son. And she's kind of like, no, don't, don't, no, don't mess with me right now. Don't, don't play with my head and don't, don't give me a false promise here and build up false hopes here. She says, come on now. You don't have to do that. She says, she said in verse 16, she says, thou man of God, do not lie in thy hammock. Don't, don't mess with me now. Don't deceive me. And the Bible says in verse 17 that God not only did that, but the man of God prayed for her. And in verse 17, the woman conceived and she bare a son that season. Elisha said it according to the time of life. Now you've studied your Bible and I'm going to get it tonight. But we read instances of time and time again of women who could not conceive and God blessed their womb and enabled them to conceive and wonderful things like that. And that's just a wonderful thing that happens there. And this woman has a has the blessing of a phenomenal son that this woman was blessed of God. And, you know, we look at this woman. She didn't ask for that. She didn't ask for anything. You know, it's a blessing when people serve God without any ulterior motive. You know, it's a blessing when a Christian serves the Lord and does it because he wants just to be a faithful servant who loves God. And uh, we see in this woman a correlation between faithful stewardship and God's blessings. And we see something else here. I see something else as kind of a spiritual kind of blessing here. I see a correlation between faithful stewardship and so many. I've learned something along the way after 40-something years being a Christian. I've learned that those people who are faithful stewards, God also blesses them as faithful soul winners. 
I can't say the same of those who are faithful soul winners are necessarily good, are good stewards, but I have seen those who are good stewards have a tendency to be also good soul winners because they realize they're going to use their lips and their voice and their life for the glory of God. And this woman, if you would, giving birth is kind of an example to you and me, spiritually speaking, that if you really want to see God bless this coming year in your soul winning efforts, I'd encourage you to step out and be a good steward of the resources God's given to you. Amen. And so we see this woman here tonight. We see, first of all, we see the motivated, this woman was motivated in her devotion. But notice in verses 18 to 24, number two, because we're working way through notice in this woman we see a miserable disappointment now this woman is just excited she's had a baby she's had a baby son by that okay and she was told she was going to have a son so you can imagine all the anticipation the waning the anxiety of all that and nine months later she gives birth to a son and the bible now uh, fast forwards the situation in verse 18 and it says when the child was grown now whatever that might mean he was probably a, still a, a toddler of some kind a young lad maybe he's five six seven eight years old we're not really sure but the bible says he was grown and i imply that with that that the growing means that he was able to walk on his own he's able to speak on his own he can make some decisions on and we find this boy going out to the field where the where the reaping so it's fall time it's harvest time and he goes out into the field to be with his daddy of course that's a good thing little boys want to be with their daddy they want to join their dad and do what their daddy does and he wants to be with his daddy but something happened weird this one day the little boy went out there and he felt this just something's going on in his head he felt this pressure he felt this pain and maybe at the beginning he kind of ignored it didn't tell his mother about it but all of a sudden he felt this he felt things spinning around he felt this pulsation in his head he knew things were not normal something wasn't right and he just cries out my head my head. And when he did so, he fainted. He collapsed to the ground. Now, if you're a parent, that's very scary. That's very frightening. When you hear your child say, my head, my head, and then they fall to the ground and collapse, and you wonder what's going on. And the father was just one of those fathers where he didn't know what to do, and he just kind of just kind of got got shocked there. And the first thing he says, carry him to his mother. And it's kind of like, you know, you, your kid cuts his hand off. He says, carry him to his mother, you know. And the kid gets in there, carry him to his mother, take him to mommy. Let mommy take care of it there, you know. The kid throws up, give him to his mother, right? Nowadays, give him to his daddy there, okay? Uh, the, the child has a diaper problem. Give him to his mother is what they say, you know. And so he says, carry him to his mother. And so one of the workers takes the boy to his mother. And remember now, the boy is at, at best semi-conscious, probably unconscious. And the mother, she, she's kind of just, you know, in shock what's going on. And she just sits down and she holds the boy and she holds him close to her bosom. And she does so. She watches from that morning until noontime. His life is fading and his breath, his breathing has become shallower and he's, and he's palpitating and she's feeling him becoming more cold and clammy and she's realizing that his life is slipping from him and she grabs him, hold her and I imagine as a, any mother she's praying, God, please don't take my son from me. God, please don't take my son from me. And she realizes he's passing, passing. And then we read the scripture, if you'll go back to this passage, it tells us here in verse 20, and, that, and when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Can you imagine the big letdown, the incredible disappointment this mother was feeling? For six, seven years, whatever it may have been, she was the happiest woman alive. In a moment, her world is turned upside down. She doesn't know what to think. She doesn't know where to go. This woman went from being the happiest woman alive to a woman sadly disappointed in grief. This woman's life now is at a place where she's being tested. She's being tested in her faith. You see, when tragedy comes, tragedy doesn't come to find out what's, what, 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 to find out that it doesn't never comes at the right time. And when tragedy comes, it comes to determine what's really going on inside of our life. And notice this woman here, she's tested in her faith. 
This woman's tested in her family. The closest thing to her was that little boy. And notice this woman's not tested in her faith. And she's not only tested her family. But notice she's tested by fire. Because she's now in a fiery trial. She has more questions than answers. She doesn't know where to turn. There's no doctor that can help her. There's no medicine that can bring her son back. And so this woman is thinking, this woman, what do I do? And listen tonight. You see, stewardship is not just being faithful with our treasures. But stewardship is also being faithful with our trials. And God knew this woman was faithful in enlarging her home and building out this, this, this prophet's chamber. But God was not through testing her through stewardship of her treasures. God was testing her about the stewardship she would have with her trials. How well, how well will she manage those trials? How well will she be faithful to God? How much joy will she have in those trials? What will she do now that the fire is intense? She's in the midst of the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. Will she burden the fire? Or was she not burned? You see, this woman was there in a place where she was the recipient of a miserable disappointment. And so this woman didn't know what to do. So notice as we go down to verse 21. And uh, the woman didn't know what to do. And so she gets up. And first thing comes to her mind is, God brought this child to me through the man of God. And the first thing goes to her mind is, I'm going to go back in the home. And she remembered those days when she was downstairs, maybe working her kitchen and preparing a meal. And she remembered there up in that upper chamber when Elisha was in her home. She probably remembered those early mornings when she heard him pray. And she heard this man get a hold of God. And she heard him study the word of God and maybe practice one of his sermons when he was in there. And she heard him that. And she thought, you know, there was much business transacting that prophet's chamber. There was something holy that happened that place. And I would never make this place available to anybody except that man of God. And so she takes, so she takes his boy and carries him upstairs to the bed. And she puts him on the bed of the, of, the, of the bed of God and then she leaves and shuts the door behind him she's got something in mind she says the man that prayed this child into me I'm going to go to this man and ask this man to pray this child back to life she knew that God's power was on this man's life she knew this man was the agent responsible for the miracle son he would be the same agent who would come alongside of her in her, in her time of need bear in mind this woman was in a miserable place she was in a place of disappointment and notice now what happens we find this woman now in this time of, of, of disappointment notice what happens verses 25 to 28 we shift from there we're going to find that this this trial she is in becomes a becomes a time and a place for god to do a diagnosis of this woman we're going to find that god will use this trial to do a meticulous diagnosis god is going to show us what is really inside of her god is going to show us what her real need is you see when god puts a trial in your life and mine is to find out What's inside of us? What really is going on? How much do we trust God? How strong is our praying? How much do we hang on faith by what God's doing? And let me say tonight, I realize as I look across the room tonight, and I'm thinking about many people watching by live stream tonight, we have a good number of our church family walking through the fire, sitting on pins and needles, going through a difficult time right now, wondering what God's going to do. And in their innermost heart, they don't even know how to cry. They don't even know how to pray. They're not sure what to do. And they're hanging on just by, by, by every word of God that's being prayed. And so this woman is in the same place. And we're going to see tonight how God does a meticulous diagnosis of her. Notice in verses 25 to 28 some things. First of all, notice this woman makes a hurried expedition. She doesn't go to the doctor. She doesn't go to the lawyer. She doesn't go to the ER room. She's going to the man that she knows that she can go to that can get on his knees and pray for God to do something. In verse 25, uh, verse, uh, verse 22, it says, 
uh, let me see, 20, uh, verse 25, it says, So she went and came into the man of God into Mount Carmel. And so this woman, in great duress of sorrow, she, she, she saddles up a donkey, and she gets on the donkey, one of her servants, and she rides as quickly as she can, and she makes haste there. And she says here, So she went and came to the man of God, in verse 25, to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her far off, that he said to Gehazi, the servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. This woman was running, was going at a fast pace. Now, if you, let's just say walking-wise, you could walk maybe in one hour, you can walk maybe at a fast pace, maybe four miles. This woman probably at riding was able to do maybe eight miles with, with a donkey, at least double that with a donkey. Let's just assume conservatively, she was able to cover eight miles. The distance from Shunem to Mount Carmel was at least 15 miles. So let's just say it would take her minimum two, maybe a little bit over two hours to get to the man of God. Her son has passed away. Her son is lying on the, in the prophet's chamber on the prophet's bed. And she's making journey there to bring him back. Two hours there, two hours to come back. At least four hours, maybe five hours, depending on the time they would dialogue together. This woman knew seconds were counting and minutes were counting. She was in desperate need. And this woman makes a hurried expedition. You see, tonight, when you need God, you go to him in a hurry. Amen? When you need God, you go to him in a hurry. When something goes on, you need something in a hurry. And this woman needed something in a hurry. She made a hurried expedition. But notice in verses 25 to 26, we see a holy examination. As she gets there, as she makes her way there from a distance in verse 25, Elisha happens to be scanning the horizon. Now, he does what we're supposed to do spiritually, especially if you're serving God in the ministry. <coughs> when you're serving God in the ministry, you're supposed to be looking ahead and looking around. You're to be looking ahead and looking around. You're to be scanning. When I'm preaching, I'm scanning to find out what's going on in people's hearts and see what's going on in their lives. And Captain, are you okay? Is everything all right there? And he saw this cloud of dust, which was which was uh, not 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 usual for that area of the world. He saw this cloud of dust. And he saw something and he looked from a distance. He says, that looks like that Shunammite woman. He knew that was somebody he had ministered to. He knew her by just her physique as she was on that, on that, on that donkey. And the more he watched, he saw this cloud of dust go up as the donkey was making his way there. And he said to, he said to Gehazi's servant in verse 25, he said to, hey, behold, yonder is that Shunammite. He said, I'm looking far and he saw the Shunammite. Now, the servant didn't see that. He wasn't even thinking on that plane. He's not even thinking, well, that's the Shunammite. What's going on? He recognized her. He knew about things. But he wasn't looking for the same things that, that Elisha was looking for. And, but Elisha sees it. And so he says to Gehazi, listen, she's coming. There's something wrong. She's making a distance here. She didn't wait for me to come down. She's making her way up to here. And she's coming very quickly. He says, here's what I want you to do. He says, you're, you're in training. I want you to run down. I want you to go meet her. I want you to go meet her. And I want you to ask her three questions. He said, when you meet her, I want you to ask her this. Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy son? He says, all I want you to find out is what's going on. To get down there. And he says, ask her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? Repeat that after me. Is it well with you? Is it well with, with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? Gehazi repeats it. He goes down there. He meets up with the woman. She recognizes him. He recognizes her. And he asks her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy son? And she does like we do. You know, it's kind of like we, we were, we're a little bit hesitant to tell everybody what's really going on in this. And she wasn't intending to lie. She wasn't trying to lie or anything like that. She just made that response. What's okay? Everything's okay. You know, I'm, I'm fine. But she really didn't want to talk to Gehazi. She really wanted to get to Elisha because she knew, she heard Gehazi pray. And she knew there's a difference between Gehazi and Elisha. She knew there's a difference from Gehazi's ministry and, and Elisha's ministry. She knew the difference from one who was a true servant of God to one who was a servant of God in training. And she really didn't want to 
talk to him. And so she wanted to know what's going on there. And uh, she, she wanted to get to the man of God, but Gehazi is in the way. And uh, so she drops and falls to, to Elisha's feet and she grabs his feet. And, and, and Gehazi didn't like that because he knew that she really was giving the answer the prophet was looking for. But she grabbed his feet in desperation, the feet of Elisha. And uh, Gehazi didn't take that very well. And, and he did show compassion and immediately he tried to thrust her away, the Bible says. He wanted to get her away from there. He says, don't bother the man of God. You Take his time. Let me tell you tonight, okay, you know, sometimes I appreciate God's people trying to help me sometimes from keeping problems. But you got to remember, that, you know, uh, insulate me, but don't isolate me. Amen? You know, and this, this is what's happening here. The, the, this, this, this man is trying to keep this woman from expressing what her need is and telling the man of God what's going on there. And, uh, and Elisha knew that something wasn't right there. And that's why he asked the question, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy son? Crises and trials are God's examination room. Crises and, exa- and trials are like going to the doctor's office and having complete, thorough examination of what's going on with you. God sends trials and crises to us to help us determine, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? Crises and trials are God's means of doing a holy examination in our lives. Determine what's happening in us and with us. And we have to remind ourselves that sometimes we think of the horrificness of trials that people go through. We must always remind ourselves of Romans 8.28. That we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We must remind ourselves, though, the picture does not unravel itself at the beginning. Over time, it unravels ourselves. We find that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And this woman right now is at a place where the prophet of God wanted her to tell him what was going on. You see, tonight, as we pause here for just a minute, God uses the room of the preaching room and the church auditorium as a time of holy examination. And I wonder tonight how that question resonates with you and me. Is it well with you? Is it well with your spouse? Is it well with your children? How well is your spiritual health? What is your gauge that you use? Is the Bible your benchmark or are you the benchmark? Is it well with your Bible reading? Is it well with your praying? Is it well in your serving? Is it well in your holiness and your humility? Is it well in your marriage? Is it well with your immediate family members? Is it well, how well are you in your obedience to God? How well are you in your, in your obedience to spiritual authority in your life? I mean, how well? I mean, Elisha saw far off. He looked afar and he knew things were not right. And this woman grabs him by the feet and she said, he says, he told Gehazi, hey man, leave her alone. There's something I could tell her soul is vexed within her. And so notice verse 27. He moves from this whole examination and we see this woman's having a hurting exasperation. This woman is hurting inside. She just, the sight of Elisha is getting to him. It just, you know, she kind of contained it. For, for the last two hours or so. And now she gets him. And she remembers those, that praying that went on in that chamber. And she remembered how God had given her that son many, a few years before that. She remembered that nine month period of time when she carried that son. Remember, this is a miracle son that God had given her. And just the sight of that man of God and how God had answered prayer. She thrust herself at his feet. And bear in mind, this is a financially successful woman. She in humility thrust herself at his feet. She grabbed him at his feet and saying, I need your help. And I need God to do something in my life. And as Gehazi was trying to 
to thrust away. This woman was a woman in great sorrow. You see, she was hurting inside. She was hurting from the sorrow of death. And now she's hurting from the sadness of dismissal. Gehazi was trying to thrust away. Listen, when people are hurting, they don't need us to tell them to go away. And they don't need us to, get, to add salt to their wounds. They need us to be there and give comfort and help to them. And uh, not to give them a callous push off. And so Elisha spoke with a heart of pity for her and a heart of mercy. He says, leave her alone. Don't get more hurt to her. And so she speaks out. And notice what she says there. She tells, she asks him some questions, which gives away what was the cause of her hurt. She asks this question in verse 28. Did I desire of my a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And what she was saying there, see, prophet of God, Elisha, I never, I never asked you for a son. I didn't ask you to bless me with a child. I, I, I asked you, please, don't, don't set me up. Don't mess with my head. Don't, don't set me up for failure. Don't, don't do something that, that, that would be, that would be, be hurtful to me. She says, I just, I just not having a child. I, the, the thought of losing this child is more than I could bear. And she's expressing to this man of God that she was hurting and a great sorrow there. She said, look at me. She says, she says, the Lord gave me a son, but now the Lord's taken away. I'm hurting. You helped me before. And what she's saying to these questions, can you help me now? She says, you know, I did ask for a son before. And I said, do not lie to me. And, you prayed for me and God blessed with son. And now that was her indirect way of saying, please, I need you to come back. And need, please, I need you to pray for me. I need you right now in my life. I'm in a critical moment in our life. I mean, she was a strong woman and she was a bold woman. But this was a woman where God had, God had touched her life, that she was broken now this moment because the closest thing, the dearest thing to her life had been taken away. Now she wanted that child back more than anything else. And so she comes to the man of God and says, would you help me? And so we see this woman expressing her who she really is, that she was a woman that needed God. Crises in our life are times where God uses that to help us to realize how much we need the Lord. I wonder tonight, how would we answer the question, how much do you need the Lord tonight? How much do you desire God tonight? How much do you want God to be real in your life tonight? And so we notice a fourth thing tonight in verses 29 to 37. This is the crux of our message. We see a woman who starts off with a motivated devotion. We see a woman who experiences a miserable disappointment. We see a woman who's gone through a meticulous diagnosis. God brought out for her to say what was going on in her. Now we see miraculous demonstration. God in his foresight wanted to show himself strong in this woman's life. And all she could see was the piecemeal. She couldn't see the finished end. She couldn't see the finished project. Elisha now is brought into the picture. Elisha steps into action. Elisha knows this woman's in need of something that is impossible to happen from God. Elisha fully immerses himself into this woman's crisis in order for miraculous demonstration to occur. So notice this, Elisha goes back with her on this 15 to 20 mile journey. She took her two hours more or so to get there. It's going to take two hours or so to get back there. Four hours are, are, have gone by. This woman is breaking inside because her son has been dead. And she's wondering herself. Her mind is playing games with her. And the devil's putting doubts in her mind. And the devil's telling her, God can't answer your prayer. And God won't answer your prayer. And Elisha can't do it. And Elisha's just a man. I mean, the devil's playing with her head. And she goes back there. And notice we're going to see here in verses 29 to 37 how God answers one of the most unusual prayers in all the Bible. We're going to see in verses 29 to 37 how God takes the impossible makes it possible. Please listen to this part because this will help you and I to understand how to get God involved in the most difficult situations of your life and mine. Everyone invariably will have at least one, 
difficult moment in your life. That'll be that moment when you need a spiritual breakthrough from God. I call it the Jacob moment. That's that moment when you're at Peniel and you're going to wrestle with God all night long and you're going to say to God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And this woman was having a Peniel moment, but she realized that in her where she was at spiritually, she didn't have the words. And she realized where she was at spiritually, she didn't have the ability to get to God like Elisha. And she needed a man who could pray for someone that could intervene for her, that could get the job done. And she saw what he could do before and she knew that he could happen again. So notice this woman as how God works this meticulous demonstration. Notice as we look at this, notice in verse 25, 27, and 29 to 31, we see first of all a failing apprentice. Now, Elisha had great faith in this man by the name of Gehazi. Remember, he's training Gehazi. He's trying to help Gehazi to learn and appreciate and enjoy the ministry. But Gehazi didn't see a lot of that. He sends Gehazi there and he says, okay, Gehazi, this is, this is like the third time he's gone to him to inter- interface with this woman on his behalf. He says, Gehazi, this woman has a need. And he gives him the prophet's staff. And there was nothing miraculous in the prophet's staff. Now write that down. There was nothing miraculous in the prophet's staff. And he gives him the staff and he says, I want you to take the staff and I want you to go over to the, I want you to go to my prophet's chamber. You go ahead of me uh, and you, you go ahead of me and you take the pro- the staff and I want you to go into that room and I want you to lay the staff on the child's face. Now he was giving him enough lead to tell him basically to see what this, the, this, this servant was going to do. What he really, really was saying to him is, I want to see if you're going to pray for this son. I really want to see how much your, your heart is moved by seeing the, the sight of a dead son. I want to, I want to see how much you move. And so Gehazi just does what he's told to do. And bear in mind, when you study the life of Gehazi, Gehazi only does the minimum. He never does beyond the minimum. Let me tell you, serving God, God doesn't need our minimum. God needs us to go beyond the minimum. God, when God gives you something to do, get it done and finish it. Amen. And God was training him for the ministry. He said, you're not going to go up there and says, miracles are not limited to me. Miracles are limited to people who pay the price and meet the criteria for God to use them. So here's here's, here's Gehazi. He walks in there. He's not bothered by the sight of a dead body. He's not moved. In fact, he's kind of like, why am I in here? And he takes his staff and he lays on the face of the child. Nothing happened. He gets up, goes back downstairs, and he walks out. And in the meantime, the woman didn't want to leave Elijah, so they're a little bit behind. He walks out. He catches up with them. He says, hey, prophet of God, I did what you told me to do. The child didn't wake up. He did the, He just did the minimum we're supposed to do. Listen, when we look at Gehazi, we find here at time after time after time after time, he's a failing apprentice. He's a failed servant of God. He fails in his attitude and his compassion. He doesn't have people skills. Let me tell you tonight, good being in the ministry, you've got to have people skills. You've got to do people right. You've got to have respect for people. Listen, get off your Facebook and your social media and have some face time with people. Amen. He failed in his attitude. He failed in his faith. He didn't exercise faith. He had learned faith. He had forgotten all the ministry lessons that the man of God had taught him. Listen, Elisha poured into this man everything that Elijah poured into him. He failed in his faith. He failed not to pray. He didn't pray at all. He failed to only give minimal effort. This woman needed a miracle of God. And this woman, listen, this woman knew, had enough to serve and realize, I, I can't depend on Gehazi to get the job done. And so we see a failed apprentice and we notice a firm attachment. Notice in verse 30, as this, as, as the 
man of God gives the, the staff over to this woman, I mean, to, to Gehazi. And to, he's thinking that, uh, that hopefully the, the, the Shunammite woman will go with him. But she doesn't. She knows that God's power is not with that man. And she knows that this man doesn't have a heart for people. And she's been the, I mean, she just, it was left a bad taste in her mouth when she put her hands around the man of God's feet for help. And he tried to thrust away. I almost imagine he tried to kick her away. He thrust her away. He had no people skills at all. And this is what she said in verse 30. She said here. She said, uh, and the mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he rose and followed her. She's basically saying, hey, Elisha, she says, I know God's power is with you. And she's Elisha, I know what God can do through you. I'm staying with you. She says, as long as God is alive and as long as you're alive, I'm going to stay with you. She says, I, I, I mean, all due respect. He can go put the staff on my son's face, but I'm staying with you. We're going together. I'm going to go where the action is going to happen. I'm going to go where the power of God's going to be known. She said, I'm going to do that. And so she, she goes with him and he, he realized this woman is, wants to follow me and she's going to stay with me. And so she makes a firm attachment. She's, she's persevering. She's being persistent. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stay where the blessings are. This woman needed a miracle from God and she realized that, that this is the only one that could get it done. Let me just say this tonight. If we want to see God do something, stay with prayer. We want to see God do something, stay in that ministry. We want to see God do something, stay with God's method, stay with God's means, and stay with God's man, and stay with what God wants to do. This woman says, I'm going to stay with him. And so notice, we see a firsthand appraisal. Elijah gets in there, she stops her because the sight of her son there, she's already seen it. She just can't bear the sight of seeing her son who's, who there's no longer life in him. So Elijah goes up to that prophet's chamber. I tried to imagine in my mind for just a minute what it was like for Elijah. He walks into that prophet's chamber. He goes up those stairs. He opens the door, looks at the loft. And there on that bed where he slept many a times. And that bed that he knelt by many times. And he prayed down fire from heaven, the power of God. He saw the body of a lifeless, cold, dead child. And he saw firsthand that child. And notice in verse 32 how it describes it for us. In verse 32 it says, And, and, uh, and when Elisha was coming to the house, Behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. Now, when Elisha saw that, I'm going to tell you, there's some things that was going through his mind there. There are things probably in his mind like, I wish I was here sooner. I wish I had prayed more that morning to get God's mind. He's thinking, Lord, my mind's going back to how Elijah trained me. And his mind went back to 1 Kings 17, when Elijah shared with him the miracle of the raising up of the widow woman's son in 1 Kings 17. Remember that? The woman of, the, the other woman there of Zarephath, how her son died, and, and he, and she, he remembered there everything that Elijah had taught him and shown him about that. And I can imagine Elijah saying something like this. Now, Elisha, he said, son, I'm not sure if God will ever give you a ministry like this, but he said, I'm gonna tell you about an unusual ministry ahead. I'm gonna tell you about an unusual thing God did for me with the widow woman. And he talked about how that, that, that woman had a son that died, and he said, give me thy son. And he took the son up to his loft and put him on the bed. And he's thinking here, wow, you know, this boy's on my my bed right now. And uh, the woman wants you to do something here. And he realized it wasn't something that he was going to do. He wasn't going to pour oil on him. He wasn't going to put a handkerchief on him. He needed God in that room. And he needed to pray. To pray. And he realized at that moment that he was being tested to pray something beyond anything he'd ever prayed before. So notice we get here and we get to the crux of this message. Notice we see a fervent appeal. Notice we see here Elisha seeing and facing a new opportunity for God to work. We're going to see how God answers his prayer. Please don't miss this tonight. I know I've kind of kind of bored you a little bit with all the details in between here. But please follow what we're going to see here tonight. You see, when we get to verse 33. Previous to this, Elisha saw God do the impossible by parting the Jordan. 
And God saw Elisha do the impossible by healing the waters of Jericho. And Elisha saw God do the miracle of vindicating his person and his office by sending two she-bears out against those, those terrible young people that, that, that uh, railed on him. And he saw the miracle of God by providing water in the valley of Edom. And then just previous to that, he saw the miracle of the oil that never ran out for the widow in Samaria. But he never had to deal with the raising of a dead person. He never had to deal with resurrecting someone for the dead. He never had to deal with something of that extreme. And so I think as he's going through this, and I, and I call this section here a fervent appeal, because my mind goes right now to James chapter 5, verse 16. Because Elisha is thinking about everything he learned about prayer from Elijah. He's thinking about everything Elijah taught him. And the Bible gives us some insight about fervent praying. Because we read about Elijah, it says in James five sixteen, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as, I, as we are. And he prayed that it might not rain. And it rained not for the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heavens brought forth its rain. And the earth brought forth its fruit abundance. Now, I'm not sure if James, when God, the Holy Spirit, led him to write that, if he had Elisha in mind here too. But Elisha is going back a few years back during his training time when Elijah told him the same things. And he taught him some elements of prayer. Please listen to me tonight. The principles of prayer that are found in the Bible are the same principles that still work today. And we're going to see one of the greatest, most fervent appeals to God that was ever made. And quickly now, as we get there, notice Elisha and this appeal as we go down to verse 33. The first thing we find is that Elisha goes into solo reclusion. And by that I mean this. It says he went inside that room and he shut the door. Elisha knew something about prayer that Jesus magnified in Matthew 6 and something the widow woman in the previous passage did. He knew that if for God to work... God works behind closed doors. God works in private. He learned solo reclusion. Listen to me tonight. Thank God when you can give your prayer request and goes on a prayer page. And thank God tonight you say, Pastor, pray for this. But if you don't pray yourself and you don't shut the door behind you and you don't go to solo reclusion, how is God going to show himself strong on your behalf? You see a solo reclusion on this man's part. And then notice, we see a simple request in verse 35. How simple this is, brothers and sisters in Christ. He went in therefore and shut the door upon them praying, just he and that dead boy. And he prayed unto the Lord. It was just a simple request. He talked to God. He pleaded with God for that boy. He asked for God to give that boy to send his soul back to him. He prayed for God to turn that cold body into a warm living body again. He asked for breath to be given back to that boy. He prayed for life to be given back to him. He prayed a simple prayer. But notice something else, and this is where it's different between Elisha and you and me. You see, when we look at Elisha, we, we do the solo reclusion. And when we look at Elisha, we make the simple request. But notice in his praying, he takes a substantial risk. And the Bible tells us here that he lay upon the child. And he put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands. Now, that, now I'm not encouraging you to do that, okay, with people, okay? And I'm not telling you if somebody dies, that's what you're supposed to do, because that's not, God's not going to answer that kind of prayer these days, down in this dispensation. But what he's telling us here is this man, this prophet, was willing to be touched with the infirmities of this woman and, and this boy. He was willing to be touched with their troubles and their heartache. And he sensed the power of death over this boy. And he sensed the coldness of the flesh. And he realized it made his praying more intense. Listen, until you feel the pressure of the problem, you'll never pray over the problem. He took a substantial risk. 
Other people wouldn't touch a dead body. The germs and the diseases. All the things that go with that. Elisha behind closed doors says, Lord, let me feel what this woman feels. He took a substantial risk. The notice, if you would, verse 34, as he laid upon the child. It says he stretched himself upon the child. And he started realizing something was happening. Something slowly was happening. That boy, the flesh of the child waxed warm. Well, he got up. And the Bible says, verse 35, he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him again. Now, now he did something else that's part of biblical praying. There must be solo reclusion. There must be a simple request. There must be substantial risk, but there is successive repetition. Listen, a lot of times, God does not choose to answer your prayer the first time. The many times we've got to pray again and again and again and again and again. The Bible says about Elijah that he prayed that it might not rain. It rained out for the space of three years, six months. And then it says, and he prayed again. And the heavens brought forth its rain. The earth brought forth its fruit and abundance. God wants us to pray again and again. He wants us to learn how to ask so we may receive. He wants to learn how to seek that we may find. He wants to learn how to... So shall be open unto us. He said, what man, if he has a son, if he should ask for bread, will he give him a stone? If he should ask for, a ser- for fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, not have good, good gifts to your children, how much more shall Heavenly Father give good things to them that ask him? He's giving his invitation to keep on asking. So he keeps on repeating. And in this situation, he only had to ask, ask twice. And then notice, in all of this, as he's doing this, and we don't know what period of time this went, what this went on by, but we notice something that's very important in all this. There is importance of being behind closed doors. There's importance of praying. There was important in taking some risks. There was importance of, of, of praying again and again and again. But listen, there was also surrendered reliance. The most important thing we don't want to leave out of all this is the fact that Elisha had great and absolute total faith that God was in that room and God was going to do something there. Listen to your praying. A lot of our praying is words without heart. Where we need a lot more heart and less words. A lot of our praying is not asking. A lot of our praying is not begging. Did you know the root word, the, the Greek word for prayer is the word prosukiumai? We get our word begging from that. The woman's downstairs. The mother's downstairs. Weep your heart out. Sobbing along the way. Listening to the sounds up above in that lot. Amazingly, notice in verses 35 to 37, we see a fabulous answer. Something happened while he stretched himself upon him. This is somewhat humorous, if you would. The child sneezed on him. (laughs) I just, you know, again, this sanctified imagination. I just imagined the child sneezing on him and all this. All this moisture comes off the, off the little boy into his face. You know what I'm saying? You have your baby sneeze on you, you know? And he's, he's on him, just praying over him. And the child goes, choo! But he does it seven times. So he gets seven showers of blessings, isn't that, you know? It's all over his face. He's got snot in his face, excuse me. And a little bit of spittle on his face. And the child sneezes seven times. And uh, he opens his eyes. And when he did that, he felt the warmth of the child. God gave that boy back his life. And he gave him back his life, and the boy, the mother got her son back again. And he calls Gehazi, which he didn't give up on Gehazi, praise God for that. 
And he gave on Gehazi. He says, call this Shunammite and tell her, come catch your son. And she came up and got her son. And she fell at the feet of the prophet of God in verse 37, bowed herself. And she dropped back her son. Watch what happens here. We go full cycle. The God who miraculously gave her her son by birth gave this boy a second birth. Amen. He gave him a second birth there. He brought the boy back his life. He gave him back his life. Can I help every parent here today where you've got a child that's very far from God? The child is not exactly where they where you know they need to be for God. Hey, listen, don't give up praying for them. Just keep praying that they'll get a they'll get this place where they'll come around. They'll get their life back again. Amen. And uh, this is what God is teaching us here. But I want you to see something even more than this. This woman got her son back. We're closing now. She got her son back. And she's coming down the chamber and she's so thankful and her mind is racing and she's thinking about everything that's transpired. She's one of the few people, maybe the only person to experience birth, death and life again in her home. She's experiencing a birth that was miraculous and a death that turns into life that's miraculous. She's seeing this come about. I mean, she gets to experience two great miracles in her lifetime. I mean, God bless us if we can get one great miracle in our lifetime. Amen. She gets two great miracles in the space of less than six or seven years. And this boy comes back. And as we look at that, I want you to go back with me. It's a final thought I want to give you tonight. I want you to see a meaningful doctrine. This takes us back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. He that receiveth the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. This woman, because she was faithful in her stewardship, this woman, because she took some risk and she she was hospitable and invited this man, this prophet of God, into her home and offered him meals. And she went beyond that and she spent whatever money cost to build an addition and build up a loft and, and to put a put some furnishings inside that room there. By the way, just a thought there that they were furnishings for the room. We need to get furnishings for the new building. Amen. And uh, she went ahead and did that. Just a thought for you there. And she furnished that room and uh, the bed went in there and the, and, and, the, and the stool went in there and the candlestick went in there and all and whatever he needed there for this man of God. God. And this woman received a prophet's reward, not once, but twice. Now, why is it that God answered her prayer? Why is it that God chose to give her back her son, no other woman, and shoot him? Why is it of all the ministry of people that Elisha ministered to during his long duration of time? Why is it is that the one person that got raised back to life in that time? I'll tell you why. It's a prophet's reward. It's a prophet's reward. And here's what I'm going to tell you tonight. How you treat God's work and how you treat God's man and how you treat the prophet of God and how you treat the things of God. He that receiveth the prophet should receive a prophet's reward. If you if you do right in your stewardship and you're faithful in your service and you're obeying God like you should. Listen, if we keep his commandments, the Bible says if we, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. For John 15, 7 tells us the secret to multiplying our efforts. He said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Here does my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Hey, listen, this woman saw God do something because she was the recipient of a prophet's reward. That speaks volumes to us about stewardship. I labored on this for two days, and God worked all over me and whipped me upside the head on early Tuesday morning. Early Tuesday mornings, I got into this a little bit more. I spent some time meditating and woke up several times on Monday night through the night on this passage of Scripture. And I got up early Tuesday morning, got on my face before God. God started working on me, and I said, God, that's the kind of praying I need to have. God, that's the kind of stewardship I need to have. 
And you need to evaluate tonight, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? Because I'm going to tell you tonight, we need to be very honest with God as we do a spiritual health assessment. If our spiritual cholesterol is too high, we got certain levels that are too low. It's time to come to the altar of God and say, God, I need that fixed in my life because I'm not healthy. It's time for us to realize we're not having prayers answered like this woman was able to have prayers answered. We're not healthy. It's for us to realize that if our stewardship is not going to the extreme like this woman did, we're not healthy. Whosoever should receive a prophet, receive the prophet's reward. Is your goal this year to see your unsaved family members saved? Are they too hard to get saved? Do you have some neighbor, a co-worker you're working on? You just resign yourself. Well, they're Buddhist, they're Muslim, they're Hindu, they're Catholic, they're whatever this, whatever that, whatever this, whatever that. And you just resign yourself that God can't answer prayer. Until we get to a place like Elisha, we're willing to take some substantial risk and touch the coldness and the deadness that sin brings. Realize until we get where God wants us to be, we'll never see God answer those prayers. I urge you tonight, is it well with you tonight? A prophet's reward. This woman was a recipient of a prophet's reward not once but twice. God seen God's power blessed at home because she decided, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to build this out. As often as man comes, he can stay here. She received that prophet. He didn't take advantage of her, but she received that prophet, and God gave her a prophet's reward. I think we need to spend some time at the altars not praying for unsaved people to get saved. I, need to, I think we need to spend some time at the altar and saying, God, my prayer life is not spiritually healthy. I think we need to spend some time at the altar tonight saying, God, my Bible reading is not really healthy where it needs to be. My service is not healthy. I wonder tonight if it's even where we have to ask ourselves the question, Lord, it's not well with my spouse. It's not well with my children. It's not well with me. We just take time, God, help me to do the assessment now so, God, you can be glorified. Thank God tonight for a woman who exemplifies for us a person who received the prophet's reward. Father, tonight we ask in a holy way that you would speak to us from this, uh, this Bible study tonight and what you did through the life of Elisha and, and demonstrating the prophet's reward. And we beg you tonight that as you had to get down deep and the crisis revealed really what was in her life, how desperately she needed God, how desperately she needed God to intervene, how desperately she wanted her son to get her life back in extended years. All of us tonight can resonate with that kind of praying. All of us can resonate with that kind of desire. Help us to start this year, Lord, as good stewards, as faithful servants, learning to pray, shutting the door behind us, not just praying once, but praying again and again and again, taking risk in our praying. Having substantial faith. Believing God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Father, tonight as Elisha stretched his faith. As he stretched himself on the body of a dead person. There are many walking dead around us. Who do not know Christ as their savior. They need us, Lord, to stretch ourselves upon them. And through confrontational soul winning, eyeball to eyeball, mouth to mouth, hand to hand, going to these people and helping them to know there's a Savior who died on the cross for their sins and they can be saved. Father, tonight help us to get off to a 
good start this year. There's some challenging things for this passage this evening. Please work on our behalf. Stir us out of our complacency. And Lord, I'm thankful tonight that when I look at this woman, you brought a crisis in her life to stir her out of complacency. May it not be we have to go through a crisis like that to reveal what's really inside of us. Increase our faith tonight. Increase our ability to grasp and get a hold of God. And thank you, Lord, for prayers being offered up and the things that you're doing. Father, would you use this invitation time to do spiritual rehab in our lives? We pray for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Heads bowed. Piano's being played. I invite you to come tonight. Would you find your way with me tonight? Is it well with thee? Is it well with your spouse? Is it well with your children? How's your stewardship tonight? Are you going through crises? What's the crisis reveal about your spiritual health? Does it reveal that we have a little God or a big God? Does it reveal that the God of the mountain is also the God of the valley? You're willing to get a hold of God? Have you given up praying about things you need to pray more about? Let's come tonight. Let's mean business like the Shunammite woman unlike Elisha the prophet did let's do that tonight and then tonight you're 100% sure you're saved going to heaven Christ offers you eternal life you call upon him to save you he can save you from your sins tonight a prophet's reward what a wonderful thing he that receiveth a righteous man the name of righteous shall receive a righteous man's reward boy it says a lot about our spirit it says a lot about our attitude Fathers, men and women and boys and girls are praying around the room. There's a lot to be said from this passage. Very thought-provoking. Very stirring. Tonight, I pray that you help us. On Sunday, we're going to be challenged as a church to get out of our comfort zone and step out. And Father, we need to be like this woman who had enough insight and desire to step out. Father, we pray this evening that our faith this year will be stretched to new limits. I pray that we'll go to the outer boundaries and step out to do some extreme things for God. Father, you've heard the heart cry around this room. Help our faith to grow. Forgive us for being a people of little faith. In just a few moments, we're going to go home. We pray you give us rest. Lord, there's a lot of people on our prayer page and then many unspoken requests of people that are suffering and need of great help from God, please meet with them. Please touch your lives with your grace. We pray for Sunday for wellness to sweep through our church. We pray for everyone that's sick to be made well. We pray, Father God, that you'll fill up our church on Sunday with a good attendance. And we pray, Lord, for people to be safe. And looking forward to the many baptisms will happen Sunday. And, uh, God, that will show people that identify with you and want to live for Christ. Tonight, we thank you for the scriptures and what you say to us this evening. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.